Welcome to John Longwell Media, creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's sermon is entitled, The Way of Escape, Overcoming Temptation, recorded on June 11, 2017, at Revived Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as one of the teaching pastors. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Let's go ahead and pray as we uh, get ready for the word. Lord God, we thank you for this time of worship this morning. We can come and just surround ourselves with your love and express our adoration to you. Lord, I pray as your word goes forth today that, uh, that it would be a practical message, that it would find a place in each of our hearts. Lord, just uh, allow me to get out of the way and allow your word to just speak. Just pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Well, Pastor Sean asked me to preach today. Um, he wasn't anticipating being here today, but he also wasn't anticipating there being snow where they were going to go hiking. So <laughs> we have the pleasure of having him back and Jimmy back today. I was actually sharing with him uh, this morning that I'd heard on the news that even Maine had um, their ski resorts opened into the first week in June, which is amazing when you think about that, just how much uh, precipitation and snow we've had. So that just goes to show that don't ever underestimate God and what he can do in the physical things in our lives, let alone the things that are unseen. So the scripture that we're going to be looking at today is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be spending the majority of our time there. It's a very familiar scripture to most of us, and uh, today we're going to take one of those Google Earth kind of looks, and we're going to really zoom in on this particular scripture here. And we're going to kind of dissect it um, um, sentence by sentence, word by word. So 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Familiar scripture? A lot of you guys heard this one before? All right. Well, let's get into it. So the very first word, of course, that would jump out to us is the word temptation. And many of us are familiar with that word. You know, we think of sin, a sin that we're tempted by. I think of cheesecake. Um, but this word temptation actually goes beyond that, and it actually can represent the words trial and testing. And sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a trial that we didn't create, or maybe we did create, Sometimes it's a little greater than what we thought, and we can't get over it in one day. You go to bed with it at night. You wake up with it the next morning. And the other idea of this word temptation is the word testing. And I can sometimes see that even as a season of testing. And that season can sometimes be weeks, months, and even years. And so just kind of keep that that definition in mind as we go through this. Now, the other distinction that's made here is he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And that's a double negative. So he's basically saying that the temptation that will not overtake you, that will not overtake you is common to man, which means that it's very familiar that everybody may have experienced these same kind of temptations, trials, and tests. It also, it gives us another thing that it is not. He's saying this is not a demonic temptation. It's not something that would require angelic abilities to overcome. And so 
in order for us to get a wider sense of what kind of common temptation this in, let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, which is the first verses that lead right up to um, verse 13. And just a little word of encouragement. Anytime you get to a, a particular scripture in the Bible, Never take it out of context. I mean, it's it's good to just read that, and you can read that in encouragement. But in order to get a fuller understanding of the word, go ahead and read the entire chapter in which it dwells. It would be almost like telling somebody where you live without telling them the street that you live on. You have to have something more than just that one location. You've got to be able to see it in the larger geography of the Bible. So as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna, and all drank the spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. So essentially, the little bit of background that we have here is this is describing the children of Israel that were they were freed from their Egyptian captivity under Pharaoh where they were slaves. Moses freed them and then began them on this journey which was supposed to be a purposed promised land where they would you know go in and basically settle and dwell in that land. And these people saw God do amazing things. In fact, he kind of categorizes it here. He said they passed through the Red Sea, which means that they actually walked through the sea that was parted on dry land. They were recipients of seeing the cloud of God's presence by day and the pillar of fire by night, which was there to lead them and guide them on their journey. They woke up every morning. They were basically going through a, think of like the New Mexico, you know, just the wilderness where there's, there's no trees, there's no water. And God provided for them every morning. They would get up and there were these little fluffy sopapilla-like manna that they would use to, um, they would mix it with all of their food. And then God even allowed Moses to have water flow from a rock so that all of their needs were met. So these people were recipients of God's goodness. And yet, in verse 5 it says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. The end result of their time was that because of the choices they made, because of the the tests and the trials that they did not overcome, was God says, you know what, I'm going to allow you to die in the wilderness and you're not going to be able to partake of the promise that was intended for you. And so what we draw from this is that simply being a recipient of God's goodness doesn't mean that we're necessarily walking in his purposes because they were unbelievers and they fell in the wilderness. Now we'll continue on in verse 6 says, now these things happened as examples for us. Now keep that phrase in the back of your mind because you're going to hear it again in just a minute. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Now he's going through all of the things that actually tripped them up and were the reason why they were not able to enter into the fullness of God's purposes. And now these are being given to us kind of as warnings. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, and drink, and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. That's like the size of my hometown that I grew up in. So that, that really kind of brings some perspective to me. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, 
and were, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. That's the second time we're giving that, that warning. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So, in essence, when we go back to verse 1 here, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, what we're being told is, you know what? We ourselves probably are the same kind of people as what these folks were that, that died in the wilderness. Many of us have witnessed firsthand the goodness of our God. We've seen God answer our prayers. We have had a firsthand experience of God moving in our lives. And so what we're being told here is just because we are of these same kind of people, make sure, in fact it says here in verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We need to make sure that um, we do not forget the examples that have been provided to us. We need to ask ourselves, do we think we're okay, impervious to temptations? We see God move, but when we look at the Jews, they all died. So this morning I want us to have three what I call OT rules, overcoming temptation, because this, uh, this sermon is called The Way of Escape, Overcoming Temptation. And this brings us to our first OT rule, which is learn from others' mistakes. We're told in verse 6 and verse 11, these things happened as examples. And so there's an old saying that says, if you forget the past, you're what? You're doomed to repeat it. And so it's, you know, and, a, and a, as a parent, you can probably tell your kids that. It's like, well, you can either listen to me or you can learn the hard way. And sometimes <laughs> there's no other way. They're going to have to learn the hard way. And God is that loving parent to us is saying, you know what? If you'll learn from those who've gone before you, then you will not have to learn the hard way. So how do we learn from others' mistakes? Well, we examine our hearts and our minds and our actions. And so let's do that. Let's kind of go through some of the list of the things that the Jews um, struggled with. So the first one was, do we worship idols? Well, maybe not in the context in which they did, but maybe we could ask ourselves the question, is God our central focus? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's our career. Or maybe it's just the pursuit of a better income. Maybe it's our house. Maybe it's our hobbies. It might even be our kids. We want our kids to be the very best. And there's nothing wrong with that. But God says, anything that steals focus from me is in the wrong place in your life and in your heart. The next question we might ask ourselves is, what gives us value? Do we lust after something? A car? Well, I lusted after a car. In 2000, I think, 11, I, uh, I purchased a 67 Camaro. And man, I tell you, the best part of owning that Camaro was anticipating owning that Camaro. <laughs> I had that car. I sold it um, last week. And it was the best thing that I ever did. It was like, it was fun to drive, but man, it was like a money pit. You know, it was just like one of these things that you just constantly have to, to put money in. And everybody that saw me drive it, they were probably like, oh yeah, they'd, they'd give me the thumbs up and boy, that's a cool car. And I was like, man, if you only knew how much money this thing costs just to keep looking great, you know? So it was, it was one of those things that now that it's gone, it's like I have this, oh, I can kind of breathe a little bit easier. I got a little bit more space in my garage. It's very nice. So what gives us value? A car? A skill? A person? 
And lusting after um, a person doesn't even necessarily mean sexual. Maybe you admire someone so much that you want to be just like that person. And yet we're told in the scripture that the only one that we're supposed to compare ourselves is Jesus Christ because he's the only true model. The last thing that, that they dealt with is the question that I could ask us, do we complain about our situation? Now, complaining is one of those really interesting things that we seem to just kind of give a pass to. Let me set the scenario here. Especially like in a work environment, your coworker comes up to you, you tell that they're kind of visibly upset about something. They begin to share a story with you, maybe something their boss said to them, or maybe it's a policy at work that changed that they're really having difficulty with. And you're like, oh, man, I, I can totally understand where you're coming from. And in your attempt to support them, you begin to commiserate with them. And then, you know, maybe the next break that you have as a team, everybody else is like, oh, yeah, man, I really hate this. Well, what started out as this small little group of support becomes this whole team of negativity. It's that whole misery loves company. And it takes on an identity of itself so much so that you can, it seems to, to still focus from everything. And we as ourselves, you know, and, oh, well, I'm just trying to be supportive at work, we find ourselves being drawn into that same negativity. And yet in First Thessalonians 5.18, this is how we're told to respond to those kind of things. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now notice he says, not because of all circumstances, but in all circumstances. You see, we can give thanks because of the very next sentence in our scripture today. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. We can give thanks because God is faithful. He is in the midst of our trials, especially when we worship him. We've just been going through our series about worship. A couple of weeks ago, I actually had shared a message on how when we praise and worship God, the glory of God is brought down into whatever trial, struggle that we happen to be dealing with. And as I was preparing this message today, I, I, the Lord gave me this phrase. He says, when we give thanks, thanks is like the welcome mat before we enter into the house of worship. And I thought that was really cool. So God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This essentially means God is in control always and in everything. And I think it's very interesting how he says, God is faithful, and this is our verse, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God wants to establish that in our hearts. He wants us to embrace that and have us know that second nature. He's saying, you can trust me. You can put your faith in me. I am faithful. And guess what? You're going to need to know that because I'm going to allow some things to come into your life. And so when we experience these times of temptation, trial, and testing, we need to know that, you know what, God has allowed them. And that can be a difficult word for some of us to understand at times. But understand the context in which this is given. God will allow trials and tests into our lives, but only under his close scrutiny and control. You see, we don't know our limits, but God does. And we must trust he will press us right up to, but never beyond, beyond our limits. So this brings us to our OT rule number two. Overcoming temptation rule two is trust God in your trials. And what I mean by trusting God is seek God, thank God, and surrender to God as we go through these trials. Psalm 125 verses 1 and 2 says, Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. 
Well, I've never been to Mount Zion, but I've been up the Sandias a few times, and so I replaced the word the Sandias there because as I get up and I drive to work every morning, and sometimes, you know, depending on the time of year when the sun is just coming up over the mountains, it's amazing. And Sandias means watermelon, and it's because when the sun shines on the mountains, it sometimes has that pinkish kind of a hue to it. And so I replaced that scripture because that's more relevant to me. Consider all joy my um, – I'm sorry – those who trust in the Lord are as the Sandias, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. So let's go ahead and continue on with our verse. So no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So with the temptation, he's going to provide a way of escape. What's very interesting is that when God allows the trial, he also provides the solution. It's like they go out hand in hand. God will never put us in a situation where he has not already planned our escape or planned a way for us to overcome that. And it's very interesting. In this very scripture, he says, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. The way of escape, like our temptation, is often gradual. It's not instant. And sometimes that's our prayer. Oh, God, please remove this, this, this temptation, this trial from me. And yet sometimes it's taken us a long time just to get ourselves into that situation. Well, when it takes a long time to get into it, it's sometimes going to take a long time to get out of it because it's not just turning your head. It's sometimes retraining the way that you live your life. I want to share a scripture which is kind of the, the twin scripture of 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. This word trials is the exact same word that we've been looking at here. Temptations, trials, testing. He says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's, he's saying that he wants us to be able to endure it. He wants us to be able to be perfect and complete. And there's two interesting things that go on here. We learned earlier that God is faithful and that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But God will allow you to be tempted. He will allow you to be tried. He will allow you to be tested. So God is allowing that within our lives. And now God is saying, guess what? There's an area that you have authority over now in this trial. And that area that we have is to let God do what he's going to do. And that is where we can truly partner with God's trial and temptation. And it's really for one reason, so that we will be able to grow beyond where it is that we are. And as the scripture says, that you may be able to endure it or to bear it. Now, sometimes when we're going through it, it seems like God is trying to kill us, but he's really not. In the end, he really wants us to live, thrive, and be complete. As that scripture says, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, the way of escape is not by removing the trial, but through enduring. God knows our limits, and he wants us to grow beyond those limits. When I first um, got into weight training and stuff when I was in high school, and the, 
the teacher would say, you gotta, you gotta lift it until it burns. You gotta lift it until it burns. Cause if, unless you get to that place, then you're actually not doing anything for your muscles. When you, when you go from the two and a half pound barbells up to the fifties, you're actually tearing that muscle. And it's through that tearing process that as the muscle is rebuilt, that's how it gets bigger. That's how you get stronger. And when we go through these trials, a lot of us can feel that burning. We're just like, you know, sometimes you walk away and go, man, I don't even know how, how I survived that. That was, that was really intense. But it's trusting ourselves to God. You know, but then the next day comes and you're like, okay, the mercies of God are new every morning. And thank God for that. You know, yesterday's. Sometimes a day comes along that you just you don't even know how you get to the end of it, but you're just hoping that the end will come quickly. Now, the way of escape is basically through enduring. And we might say that gaining endurance is, a, is learning to be obedient, and learning is enduring. The worst thing that could happen in a trial is for you to go through the entire trial because a trial will eventually end. It, time will Time will take its its toll and and it will pass through. But the worst part of going through a trial is not learning something, not taking something away from it. And that's what God wants us to do. He says, if you will look to me, if you will trust in me, then I will show you the purpose in this trial. Because the worst thing is to have to go through that trial again. And sometimes, you know, we think that, oh, you know, getting out of this relationship or getting out of this job or even moving to a new city, I'm just going to leave all my trials behind me. But guess what? When you get there, if you haven't successfully dealt and grown through those things, you're going to be faced with them all over again. You may think you've buried it for that season, but after a while, it's going to come back up. It's like those weeds that you pull. Six weeks later, they're going to be back. So gaining endurance is learning to be obedient. So we could say the way of escape is obedience. And notice that it doesn't say a way of escape as though there are many. Because when it comes to our walk with God, we're either walking in obedience or we're walking according to our own plan. And I've heard it say that if you want your results, then do it your way. If you want God's results, then do it God's way. So obedience involves two steps, knowing what to do and doing it. Well, that sounds pretty easy. We should all just be able to go home right now and just walk and have obedience and, and great success, right? No, it's never quite that easy. Learning what to do. Well, we can do it by applying OT rule number one. Learn from the examples of the mistakes of others. Or we can also learn obedience through regular personal Bible study. And we say that over and over again. It's because Sunday morning is good and it's great and it's, it's awesome to get together as the body of Christ to go through some scriptures. But I can tell you this was much more applicable to me and probably much more personal to me because I've been spending the last few months getting into this word. What really is going to change and give you the understanding of what obedience looks looks like for you is taking out your Bible and pulling out a scripture, reading that scripture in context. And if you know that God has given that to you, then praying over that scripture. What does that mean? One of the first questions that as a pastor, when people come to us and they they begin to share their their problems and their issues, one of the first questions the pastor is going to ask them is, are you in the word? Have you been praying? It's kind of like those, those basics that the doctor asks you. How Have you been eating? Have you been exercising? Have you been getting a good night's sleep? These are the Christian basics that if they're not in place in your life, then guess what? You're going to struggle with certain sins, trials, and temptations. So now that we know what to do, now it's a matter of doing it. 
and we, we get better at obedience through practice. You know what? We also get better at sin through practice. When we practice sin, sin becomes easier. But when we practice obedience, we're able to see sin. And that's what's awesome is once we begin to see the tactics of the enemy, we're, we're able to identify them right before they come to us. I was, I've, I've had a phrase in, in my Christian walk for many years where I call it the enemy tips his hand, which is that sometimes I know that um, the enemy will come against me. You know, he's trying to just kind of wheel his way in there and be real subtle. And I, and I don't know if it's just a circumstance that I'm going through. I don't know if it's me. And then he'll push a little bit too hard. And then I'll recognize, you know what? The enemy is trying to trip me up on this particular place. He's playing on my weaknesses. And at that place, I see it. And then this brings us to OT rule number three, overcoming temptation. Flee it when you see it. It's no wonder that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, the very next verse that we read says this. Therefore, my beloved, flee from my, from idolatry. You see, the first 13 verses have been instructions leading us up to verse 14. We, we think that verse 13 is, is really the crux of how to overcome temptation, but it's really not. Verse 13 is just the process. So let me just do a quick recap. So verses 1 through 5, we're introduced to the kind of people that are going to be susceptible to certain tests, trials, and temptations. And guess what? It's everyone. And then verses 6 through 12, we actually have kind of a list of what those kind of temptations and trials are. The very ones that tripped up the children of Israel and the very kinds of temptations and trials that can trip us up as well. And in verse 12, he, he basically says, okay, now I need you to set your mind. And he says, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And then verse 13, he basically just explains this is the process for temptation. He, he first says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. It's very common to everyone. But don't worry about it. God is faithful. He's got your back. And he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But he says, but with the temptation, guess what? He's going to provide your way of escape. He's going to provide the way for you to be rescued that you will be able to endure it. Not that you're going to die, but you will endure it. You're going to be able to bear it. And at the back end of this, you're going to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. He says, okay, now that you've got all of that, he gives us a command. He basically says, flee idolatry. You can put in any one of your own temptations or trials or tests, and you can basically say, now that you know what it looks like, now it's up to you to take action. And you know what? If you don't flee it the first time you see it, that's okay. That's what grace is for. That's what God's faithfulness is for. He's there to pick us up when we fall, as many times as we fall. But what he's, what he's saying is, I've now given you a pattern. And some of us need that. Some of us need that structure so that we can follow that. And God is saying he's given us all of this encouragement so that when we encounter these temptations, sometimes we feel like we're out there by ourselves. And everything that God is doing in this 101 lesson on, on overcoming temptation is he's saying, you know what, you're not alone. You're not by yourselves. I'm in the very center of all of these things because I'm the one that's allowed this to come upon you personally because I've got a purpose for you specifically that if you will trust in me and allow me to take you through that process of endurance, 
you're going to come out on the other side, and you're going to be able to do things on the other side of it that you would never have been able to do unless you had trusted me through this process. So as I conclude, I just want to summarize. God is in control of every temptation, test, and trial. Amen? God chooses which ones to use, how they will be administered, and for how long. Each temptation, test, and trial has a specific purpose that ultimately is for our benefit. And I know that's not easy to see or even agree with when we're going through that. But if you can trust in that, it makes it all the more bearable and all the more purposed knowing that, you know what, this season isn't just to to make me suffer, but God has really got an amazing situation that he wants to bring out on the other side of this. And as I close, I, I was really praying this week on a personal kind of story that I could share. And it and it brought me back to a situation I had shared uh, probably about eight months ago when I had shared about my divorce. Um, had been divorced, uh, had been previously married, and at that time my, my ex had left me. And I had really sought to seek reconciliation in the, in the relationship. That didn't come about. She ended up marrying someone else. And then that didn't last for too long. And uh, she got a divorce again. And then at that time, for the second time, I tried to reconcile. Well, that didn't work. She ended up marrying someone else. And so throughout that whole time, that was my season, probably the longest season of testing that I've ever gone through in my life. Very, very challenging, very much having to, to lean and, and um, rest upon God's grace and a situation happened probably about a year or two after my ex had been married to her third husband. They started attending the church where I was serving. Now, you might think that was a little awkward, a little bit odd, but I was, I was really blessed. Um, the one thing that God did fulfill, he had reconciled my ability to relate with my ex. And so we, we were able to co-parent our kids together. And so that was really God's fulfillment of his reconciliation of our relationship. It wasn't a reconciliation of a marriage. I realized that wasn't to be, but God reconciled our, our ability to, to parent together. And that was, that was a real blessing. If any of you come from broken homes or have those kind of situations, you know how much of a huge asset that can be when you're able to deal with the other parents. And so the, the real thing that happened to me as a, a, as a point of specific purpose was there was a specific service where my ex's new husband actually went and he gave his life to the Lord. And that was the most amazing thing for, for me. In fact, kind of my testimony after that, I was like, well, you know, God used this divorce in order to bring this person to the Lord. And I don't, you, I don't say use that as a template to say, okay, well, I'm divorcing this, so, you know, whoever my ex is going to marry, they're going to come to the Lord through that. That's, I'm not advising you to do that. But what I'm saying, that is one of the neat things that God used that situation for in my life. And to me to go, wow, someone was, was harnessed from the fires of hell and is now a, a, a believer, that's amazing. That's awesome. And so that that is really a point of specific purpose that was fulfilled out of that difficult trial that I had gone through. So as I um, close today, I want to pray about two specific things, and you guys can go ahead and turn the music on. Um, I want to pray for direction for you if you're in the midst of a test or a trial or a temptation. And I want to pray for that direction because sometimes – it's so difficult to even know what to do. You know, it's like, what, what, where do I go? Who do I talk to? What do I do? I'm also going to pray that God would give you clarity. If he doesn't provide that full-on, you know, universal clarity, 
then I'm going to pray the second thing, which is that God would strengthen your faith so that you would be able to trust in him. Because sometimes that's all that God wants of us, is we are so self-reliant on so many things that God is saying, you know what, I'm allowing this test to come into your life so that you will stop relying upon your income, on your job, on your own security, so that you will feel insecure enough to where you will have to reach out to me. And so if that's maybe where you find yourself today, that is a little bit of a step over the great chasm of the unknown to get to that next place where God would have you. So go ahead and bow your heads with me as we pray. Lord God, I thank you that we can trust you in whatever situation we're going through, Lord God, whether it's a temptation of a sin that we're they're constantly being bombarded with, whether it's a time of trial, whether it's a season of testing, Lord God, you are the one that has allowed that to come place in our lives. And Lord God, we want to, to just make that proclamation that, God, you're faithful. We can trust in you, Lord, but we do ask for direction. Be the light upon our feet so that we can see the next steps to take. And Lord Jesus, if there are those here that have been seeking that direction and are just having a hard time trusting in you, then Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their faith, that they would be able to trust in you, that they would be able to rest in the promise that, you know what, I've got a specific purpose for you in this trial, and this trial is not going to last forever. And when you come out of it on the other side, you're going to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, ready to take on the next big challenge. Lord God, we do give you praise. We give you glory in your mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.